Hello, and thank you for listening to today's broadcast from Stony Point Baptist Church with Pastor Jim England. Today's message, Friendship and Forgiveness, is the fifth message in the series, Jesus' Ministry in the Gospel of Luke. And now, here's Brother Jim. I'm going to have you take your Bibles. We're going to look together in the Gospel of Luke. Do you mark Luke, third book of the New Testament? Looking in chapter 5, we're picking up this morning with a story that uh, you're very much familiar with, and we're picking up with verse 17. Verse 17, so Luke 5, picking up with verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day, as Jesus was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out from every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, so there's a whole lot of of the Pharisees and scribes that have come out to hear him, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then, behold, men brought a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, Your sins be forgiven or arise? Rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed into his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, or we have seen strange things today. Let's have prayer. Lord, I just ask your blessings. Help us to have wisdom, insight, and understanding. And then, Lord, may you also just be able to speak to us where we're at. Remind us, Lord, of just certain truths. Lord, maybe there's some things we need to change. But, Lord, may your Holy Spirit just work, and may you have your way. And I thank you for each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Heard about this fellow that had his 40th birthday. That seems a little while ago for me, but uh, for some of you, maybe you're approaching that 40. So he was, they was having a celebration for his birthday. And so he's sitting there with his wife, and all of a sudden he said, I don't mean to sound morbid, but he said, if I was to die, who would you get to be my pallbearers? She's like, what? <laughs> it's your birthday. He's like, I was just thinking. He said, I know it wouldn't be hard to get six or so people, but I don't want just six people. He said, if they could fit it in their schedule, sure, you could get six. But I want people that are willing just to drop everything. He said, I don't know if I got six friends that are that close. Wow. That stops and makes you think. There was a psychologist that said most people, most men, he didn't say women, he said men in this study, 
only 10% have that kind of, have that many people that they're really close to us or that far as real friends. 10%. That was true for everybody here. That'd be nine out of 10. Can't say that they got six really, really close friends. There was a lady who wrote about, it's been a little while now, several years, newspaper article came out. Her name was Adele Gobri. Her neighbors, you know, they kind of were, were pretty good neighbors that whenever her lawn got a little big, started getting about knee high. They just pitched in together and they hired a local boy just to mow her yard. Then when they noticed that the water lines had uh, busted, they went over and turned the water off for her. Then when they noticed that the mail was coming out the front door, they called the police. And so the police showed up, had a time getting in, but they finally was able to bust in and, and get in. Basically, they found her skeleton. She'd been dead for about four years. One of their neighbors said, well, she said, I somewhat to blame. She said she used to come over. She said, I was working two jobs and I just got tired of the interruptions and I wouldn't answer the door anymore. Anyway, I just say that to say, wow, friends. You know what Ben Franklin said? He said, be slow in choosing your friends, but be even slower when replacing your friends. Someone said this. They said, you know, a friend is a person that regardless of your success, you still love each other. And are there for each other. It's hard to be able to find good friends. Here in this passage of scripture is some good friends. Here's a guy that's basically paralyzed. Now Jesus mentioned sin and so some people conclude that maybe the reason he was paralyzed had to do something with sin that was in his life. I don't know. Just because somebody has sickness doesn't mean there's sin. But sometimes it certainly could be. But nevertheless, these friends, they looked at a situation, seemed pretty hopeless. And they just thought, you know, if we could get him to Jesus, you know, he may have been skeptical. But they began talking about it. We need to get him to Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people that are skeptical about Christ. You've got friends people that you know, they're skeptical. But if they see Christ working in you, it kind of does something to them. It kind of changes things. They had a conviction about Jesus Christ. These friends, and you can just see by their actions, they had a conviction a conviction is something that you believe deep down and it motivates you to move. These friends is something that they really believe. It just didn't say it. They really believed it. If you really believe that Jesus Christ can change anybody, that Jesus Christ is the one that is the hope for this world, marriage problems that Jesus Christ is the solution. 
family problems. He is the solution. Their answer is in Christ, if you really believe that, and had the conviction. Well, it changes things. And these fellows had that conviction. When somebody has that type of conviction, it can't help but to begin to spill over and have an impact on someone else. They had such a conviction. It led them to say, we're going, friend, we're going to take you to Christ. And they set up a time. Basically, they loved their friend, and they wanted to be able to help him. Well, when it comes down to it, you can't make someone follow Jesus or trust Christ. But you certainly can have an influence. And these men did. So they loved their friend. Jesus was in the area. They had the opportunity. The very thing they were waiting for, if Jesus ever comes close, we're going to get our friend there. Sure enough, they got the opportunity. If you ever get the opportunity, you may say, I get the opportunity to get my friend to an event where they can hear the gospel. An event where they can enjoy. I'm going to do it. Because I love my friend and I know that what they need is Christ. These guys, that's what they do. Now, whenever you make your plans, it's funny how plans can fall apart. They get together. Jesus is in the area. And so, verse 18, let's go back to verse 18. It said, And then behold, they brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring and lay before him. That's the whole idea. We're going to bring him to Jesus. It should be, everybody should be excited about this. But look what verse 19 said. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd. There was so many people there they couldn't get through. They try to say, could we get by here? we got to get to Christ. No, no. No, you can't go by us because we don't want to miss out. We want to be able to hear. No, there's no room here. It's funny sometimes how good people sometimes can be kind of mean. I went to an event, thousands of people there, and they said, we're going to give this away. It was a nice prize they were giving away. Everybody gets one. Everybody. But you would think that that wasn't going to be the case. People were afraid they wouldn't get one. And it was, well, they were just running over everybody. And then some people were like trying to figure out how we're going to get more than one because we're going to give some away to other people. It's funny how people just become kind of mean. Here they are in a crowd to see Jesus, but nope. We know he may need Jesus, but no, we're not getting out of the way. But these fellows were persistent. They loved their friends so much, they're persistent. We're not going to give up. We're going to try to get him to Christ. But there's no way to get through the crowds. Whenever somebody spoke at a house, they would have the windows open. People would hang out the windows. The door would be open, and people would be all around. And so the crowds were just all around, circled that house. You couldn't get to him. It was such an obstacle. These fellows got creative. Don't you like it when people are creative in their thinking? Sometimes we just get boring. We just do the same thing over and over again. These fellows had to get creative. We have got to get him to Christ. And we're not giving up, so how are we going to do it? They end up going around to the back. 
steps. They end up getting up on the roof. Now that's being creative. You know, some of those roofs, in Mark's gospel, tells us that there was mud packs on those roofs. So they had to dip shovels and they had to dig through some of that mud. Then they got down to the tile and then they had to move things from the tile. You know, that's pretty courageous. I don't know about you, but I don't like heights too much. <laughs> some of you don't either. Some don't bother you. But, uh, you know, you, you get a big hole in the roof, somebody could fall. And so, it can, it's courageous. Then they lower the fellow down. Tie up and they lower him down. Now, they could be saying, the owner of this house may be mad. <laughs> but we're going to put our money on the line. We're going to do the extra work, not only take the roof off, but we're going to fix it back. But we're going to get our friend to Christ. And so these fellows were creative and, and, and uh, courageous in being able to lure their friend to Jesus. Isn't that neat? Well, they lower him down. That got everybody's attention. I mean, the whole crowd, they're just kind of amazed. What in the world? This is the strangest thing. That would be strange. Then Jesus looks at the fellow, sees their faith. Now, some people might think, this is just the friends. But notice what Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. I want you to know something. Sins is personal. God doesn't forgive my sin because of what my mom and dad did. He doesn't forgive my sin because of what somebody else did. He has to only forgive my sin because I've come clean with him. So this fellow on the mat couldn't come on his own. He had to have help. But because these fellows had gone the extra mile, it's done something to him. You know, when somebody prays and you know that they're praying for you, or when somebody is giving and serving and loving and you just know it, it does something to you. It impacts your life. It gets your attention. And you can't help but say, oh, <laughs> there must be something to Jesus. Or they wouldn't act this way. They wouldn't be like this. This fella began to believe. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now, when Jesus says this, I believe one of the things he's doing is pointing out our greatest need. Why did they come? Well, he's paralyzed, can't walk. And so most people look at that and say, that's his greatest need right there. Mm -mm. When we have prayer time, most of the time, you know what we're praying for? Physical needs, sicknesses. I'm not saying they're not important because I'm telling you God is concerned about every person about every need you got, he's concerned. But you know, the greatest need is not physical. Now, if you were just asking these people, they were looking for a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah to overthrow the government, a political Messiah. And even today, there's people that say the greatest need we have is freedom. 
Well, freedom's nice. It's why we get to come to church. It's a good thing to be able to have, and we should celebrate it, and we do. We don't need to take it for granted. But that's not the greatest need. Your greatest need is not freedom. It's not politics. What is the greatest need? Your greatest need is your soul. Jesus would later say, what does it profit a man if he gain a whole world and lose his own soul? When it comes down to it, your soul is eternal. The greatest decision is your decision about Jesus Christ. It's about eternity. Eternity lasts forever. We're not talking about just this lifetime. We're talking about forever, for all of eternity. Your soul. Jesus is basically pointing out your sins are forgiven. This is His greatest need. It's not being paralyzed. That's just what stands out. That's what we just look at. It's your relationship with God. Not your physical health, not your national freedom. It's your condition of your soul. Let me ask you something. How's your soul this morning? How's your relationship with Christ? You see, some people think, oh, it's my happiness. Oh, it's about my work. About my ball, my grades. Those are not your greatest needs. Your greatest needs is your relationship with Christ. It's having forgiveness. It's knowing you've been forgiven. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Well, in saying that, it just raised all kinds of questions. All kinds of questions. And so you have all these scribes and Pharisees. They're like, this fellow's blaspheming. Because there is nobody that can forgive sin but God. C.S. Lewis said, listen, if I've hurt you in some way, I stole from you, I did something, I took something I shouldn't have taken from you, and then I come up to you personally and say, forgive me. That makes sense. But does it make sense for me to go to somebody else? Unless it's God. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 51, which is a great chapter on confession of sin and on, on, uh, on forgiveness. Psalm 32, Psalm 51. There's the Psalms David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. So in Psalm 51, beginning at verse 3, David said, For I have acknowledged my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. I am so guilty that it bothers me. Why does it bother you? Because God has given you a conscience. Stealing. You know it's wrong. Little children, you know to steal is wrong. To lie is wrong. It's in your conscience. David says, it's in my conscience and it's before me. I know that I'm guilty. And then verse 4 he says, and against you, he's talking to God, and you only have I sinned. Now, David had committed adultery. He had committed murder, basically. Had her husband basically killed. And David said, but God, it's you. Because you're the one that determines right and wrong. You're the ones that determines the commandments. And so it's against you that I've really sinned. That I'm really accountable to. And I've done this evil in your sight. 
that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. So basically, David is saying, God is the one that needs to forgive. So guess what? These Pharisees weren't wrong. When Jesus said, you're forgiven, they're right. It's God that can forgive sin and really nobody else. But what they got wrong was who Jesus is. They just thought Jesus was a man. And he was a man, but he was more than a man. He was the God-man. And Jesus had the authority and right to forgive sin because he's God. He not only had the authority and right to forgive sin, but God is just. And be able to have for sins truly forgiven, justice has to be served. And so you know what Jesus is also doing? Jesus is committing himself to going to the cross. That was God's plan. That was his plan from the beginning. And basically, Jesus is just saying, I'm headed to the cross. He's making that commitment. He's making a pledge. And so when Jesus is saying, your sin's forgiven, I've got the authority to do that. I'm, I'm headed, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to pay that price. What they didn't understand is who Jesus is. Then Jesus asked a question. He said, now what's easier? For me to say, your sins are forgiven, or to take up your mat and walk. Get your bed together. Walk. Which one's easier? To tell somebody they're forgiven, who could prove that? You can't. But that's the hardest one. But you could see if somebody was paralyzed could get up and walk. And so Jesus looks at the fellow and says, well, get up and walk. This way you'll know that I have the authority to do that as well as to forgive. Because I can meet any need. Jesus has the authority to meet any need, by the way. And that's what he's saying. He can meet your greatest need. He can meet your smallest need. He has the authority. Well, the people are just stunned. They're amazed. And they're all scratching their head. What have we seen today? That's how it was every day in the ministry of Jesus. His disciples every day were amazed at what they saw take place with Christ. It's an amazing thing to follow Christ. I tell people all the time, the greatest decision you'll make in your life is to follow Jesus Christ. It's not the easiest. It's the most challenging. The most challenging life is the Christian life. It's tough. It's also the most adventurous life. When you give your life completely and totally to Christ, it's an adventure. It is an amazing adventure. Oh, yeah, it's, God expects you to be able to live morally. God expects you to be different than other people. He expects you to be able to talk to others, to help others, to pray with others. And let me tell you, it's an adventure. It's exciting. It's exciting to be seeing God working in people's lives and working through you. It's exciting to be able to see that. And the disciples, the people that were there, they're just, whoa. 
Can you believe this? The question became, what have we just seen? Who is this person? This is just the amazing thing. You know, we go back, and we was talking about friendship. Basically, when Jesus says, the most important decision is your relationship with God, you know, that even changes friendships. Because if I'm really your friend, I'm really concerned whether you know Christ or not. Or I'm not really your friend. Because if that is your greatest need, I have to be. And so I've always said, and still maintain, you shouldn't be offended if I ask you about Christ. Especially if you know what I believe. But you should be offended if I don't ask you about Christ. If I've never said anything to you about Jesus, it should bother you. I can't believe that you wouldn't talk to me about the greatest decision in my life. About what eternity hinges on. Today, you may be here, and you don't know Christ. Listen, I'm telling you, the greatest decision you'll ever make. It's the decision, it's the most important decision. Because it deals with eternity, and it deals with God. It deals with justice. It deals with love. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know for sure? that Jesus lives in your heart. You can settle that today. It's the greatest thing. It can be done. You might say, well, I've got some other needs. This is your greatest need, but listen, I understand. There's places where you're hurting. There's things that's going on in your life. And don't think God doesn't care about those. God is concerned about those. And you're welcome to come and bring those to the altar. I'm, I'm more than happy to pray with you. I really believe that a relationship with Christ can turn a family around. I really believe that hurting marriages can actually be healed through Christ. There is no guarantee that if one person comes that the other person will but want to join them. There's no guarantee of that. But it could happen. Jesus Christ is the difference. Guess what? Today, yesterday, and forever. Jesus Christ, He never changes. And so that the same truth is true today. You can come be able to receive from Christ. Let's take a moment. Let's have prayer together. Lord, I thank you so much for each person that's here. Lord, we've got moms, dads that are concerned about their children. Lord, we've got people that are concerned about their neighbors, some about their classmates or co-workers. Lord, we've got some this morning that it's themselves that are unsure whether they're ready for heaven. They're carrying a load of guilt that need to be able to come and find forgiveness. Some that find themselves, even as Christians, in circumstances that are just overbearing and they need your help. Lord, I just ask that today that you would minister, that you would work. 
your will would be done. And we give you thanks in advance in Jesus' name.